0: Welcome to the Autism Growing up Podcast. I'm your host, Dr. Tara Regan. On this podcast, this is one of our many resources. This is the place where we explore and discuss topics related to adulthood and growing up, as well as share stories, strategies, and resources from people in our autism community. Hey, welcome to today's episode. Uh, this week is gonna be a fun one. I'm sitting with one of my friends from graduate school from my PhD program at UNC, Dr. Xu Ting Zhang. So cool to call her a doctor, is a postdoctoral scholar at University of California at San Francisco, where she is doing a lot of wonderful work in their clinic, as well as supporting a variety of research projects that you will hear all about in this episode. It almost is like, a catching up episode with shooting but she also just does So much great work that spans the lifespan that goes from being in the lab to being with people. Her work just is something that is very admirable and very inspirational. If I were in the research field, I would want to do what uh, Xu Ting is doing right now. But I've known Xu Ting through, I've known Dr. Zhang through our UNC PhD program. We've done a lot of work together. She is always a wealth of knowledge because she stays up on the research literature and on things like eye tracking, to assessments, to everyday advocacy, and things that are going on in the day-to-day life of an individual on the autism spectrum. So before we get into talking with our guests, I do want to provide a little bit of an update of what's been going on with autism growing up, and maybe a little bit more of a personal thing, personal share on my end. We do something in improv, I don't know if y'all know this about me, but I am an improviser, and something we like to do is, for like a warm-up, is to do a stretch and share, which is essentially uh, we go around in the circle, share what's going on in the week, and we select an exercise, a stretching exercise to do. So I'm selecting one right now. You can choose whatever one you want if you want to join me. I'm just stretching my arms up in the air, maybe going to do some circles as we get into this. So I mentioned last week that I was going to head home to Charlotte to do some, Charlotte, North Carolina, to do some respite work with my brothers over the weekend, and I'm actually going again this weekend because my dad's going to be out of town, so my mom needs some additional support getting my brother to, well, Tyler primarily, to his Special Olympic swimming practice. And Tanner, of course, will come along. But we, last week was Tyler's actual first practice for Special Olympic swimming for the season. He loves swimming so much. If you follow me on Instagram, then you saw some of our stories kind of documenting a little bit of our day. Uh, we did a lot on Sunday. We went to a hockey game. My dad and... Tyler, I was gonna say, my dad and Tyler have uh, tickets for the season uh, for the Charlotte Checkers with a few other friends and Tyler loves going to the home games and it's been a little bit of time since Tanner has gone. So Tanner was curious and he had asked if he could go. Tyler was a little bummed to not go this time. Um, and it turned out there was like an extra ticket. So I tagged along to see what all the fuss was about because Tyler's been loving hockey this season. He has the calendar for all all the home hockey games and there are, I don't know if you all know this about hockey because I had no idea is that there are a lot of home games there's just a lot of games in the season so like last week they went to the game like Tuesday Wednesday Thursday Saturday Sunday lots of days of the week and I'm sure I missed a couple of them I don't know we're running out of days of the week here but there are a lot of games uh you get my point there's a lot of games and Tyler loves going to all of them went with Tanner my dad Tanner was a little bit distracted by the the sounds it was very loud where we were seating where we were seated uh, I guess those are the usual seats that they have they're very close to the rink itself and I think we're right below his speaker so from the start to the end Tanner had his hands over his ears and I helped to make sure like his hat was covering part of his ears, so he didn't have to push so hard on his ears but usually Tanner he still enjoyed the game itself I didn't get to a point where he needed to go because uh, he was there it turns out for his hot dog and his fries and a soda and to do the the chicken dance this is something they do in between periods and he as soon as the music came on he started just doing his own little dance to it so tanner's made his own chicken dance uh but Ty, this is also tyler's favorite thing to do is the chicken dance and of course the food uh, but he also loves watching the game itself tanner wasn't as interested in it this time he said he told us at the end like this was a one-time thing i'll do it maybe another time that's what he told us and then after that we went to special olympic swimming tyler's first practice of the season and he just enjoyed it. I think Tyler just loves a lot of community-based activities right now. Anytime he can get out of the house, he is here for it. Especially if there is a calendar and he knows that it's on the calendar for the day, he is very excited, very quick to ready to get ready to go. I wanted to also provide an update of um, where we were with the visual supports for Tanner that I had created. Uh, turns out they are using parts of them. Uh, other parts they've just shifted the language. So Tanner, my mom have made Tanner, my mom have made. Made it a race for Tanner to get ready in the morning because he wants to be fast and he wants to be able to spend a good amount of time on his iPad and run down the hill. Running down the hill is a lot more fun than stopping and thinking and scripting, especially if it's really cold outside. So that seems to be something they tried out on Friday. I saw it happen in action on Monday morning and so we shall see. Maybe I'll have an update on that next week too. Uh, for Autism Grown Up Things, we hosted our first 18th of the month live on Instagram Live where I sat down with a surprise guest, my sister, Uh, not so much of a surprise anymore, and we just kind of chatted over sibling things, took in some questions, we had some technical issues here and there, uh, which is good to know because the next 18th, in March, we'll be doing this again just to help us raise some more money for printing materials. And I want to keep these going because I think they'll be really fun because they're going to be really fun. Uh, It's more interactive component for those who are able to join, and it's just fun to chat about autism adulthood, and silly things too. And then I'm also going to UNC tonight. I'm recording this section on Wednesday, the 19th, and I'm going to go speak at an Autism Society University chapter all about transition to adulthood, so that will be really fun. And as the time goes, I'm starting to record more and more episodes for our March and April episodes, our March and April Thursdays, and they're going to be so good, so jam-packed with information. I am loving every one of of these conversations, and I hope you are too. Speaking of conversations, see my segue there, uh, let's jump into our conversation with Dr. Xu Ting Zhang. <laughs> All right. Welcome to the Autism Grown Up Podcast. Joining me today is Doctor Shuting. Welcome to the show. Hi. Hi, Tara. Hi, everybody. Can you tell me a little bit about you and your work in the autism community?
1: Yeah sure so I was originally born in China and I studied uh, in China up to college and I' grown very interested in autism and autism research during my college years uh, and but by the time in China we don't have uh, a lot of research going on regarding to autism mm-hmm. so I looked for graduates graduate schools in the United States and applied for uh, PhD programs. That's when I uh, end up in UNC Chapel Hill and I met Tara there and we are in the uh, same program uh, mm-hmm. for PhD. And uh, right now uh, I'm a postdoctoral scholar at uh, UCSF, Star Center for Autism and Neurodevelopmental Disorders. Mm-hmm. So right now I'm taking classes in Behavior analysts, uh, and then uh, pursuing my BCBA. Uh, with within our center so for my work right now as i mentioned i'm mostly uh, a researcher uh, as a postdoc at the center but i also do some clinical work as well Uh, so for for my time uh, at star center um, i divide my time like it's almost half and half Uh, so uh, for like two days i do clinical stuff um Uh, I recently started doing the uh, evaluation cases with one of our licensed clinical psychologists. Mm -hmm. So I will do the um, autism diagnostic observation schedule, the ADOS, uh, as one of the diagnostic tools with our kids who come in for evaluation. Mm -hmm. And then I also work with our uh, BCBA on some of the behavioral treatment cases. Previously, I was in, we just actually finished one uh, social skills group for our teenagers on the spectrum. Also sometimes do uh, parent training for uh, behavioral strategies, working with parents of kids of all ages. That's mostly all my clinical side of work mm-hmm. and research. I'm... Um, um, working with Dr. Summer Bishop. Uh, so she is a um, co-author for the ADOS, and uh, shes I think her research focus is more on the measurement side of things, how we can uh, develop good measures to capture the core symptoms of autism, how we can use those measures to better understand the profiles of kids. So my uh, research work with her, are uh, majorly focus on that piece. So um, we are currently working on a grant that, uh, we try to develop a social communication measure. Uh, that's uh, we we try to develop this measure to be more like ability based. As we know, a lot of the measures we have in the field are more deficits based. So yeah. we are currently measuring like what are the problems and what they cannot do. Uh, but we want to have a measure that's more like focused on the strengths and what they can do because that may be useful uh, potentially for treatment. Because we always have to build on what an individual can do. So that's how kind of this measure project is working. Okay. And then yeah, so for other research I'm doing right now, um, so I have shifted my focus from graduate school in early years to like adolescent and young adult years. Mm. So yeah, so <laughs> it's actually a nice coincidence <laughs> for us to, to be talking about it here. Um yeah. so, Yeah, um, I'm very interested in, uh, like, the daily life experiences of adolescents and young adults with autism right now. Mm -hmm. Um, So uh, we are trying to uh, uh, figure out the ways that can best measure that um, and then, like, have real, you know, really good ecological validity when we uh, try to think about those things um you know a lot of measures we have now are like parent report Mm -hmm. sometimes teacher report but it's all from like mostly from another person's perspective so we're thinking about like if there is a way that we can collect data directly from the adolescent Mm -hmm. uh, and then probably maybe thinking about using some of the technology we have today, like a lot of people have smartphones with them and some of them have the uh, wearables with them. So is there any way we can integrate those things with what we want to measure throughout the day uh, with with our adolescents and young adults? So that's the other focus um, of my uh, current research interest. So, yeah.
0: Wow, oh my gosh, I had no idea that you were focusing on this area, so it is so
1: serendipitous. Yeah, I, I definitely have, yeah, shifted my, um, some of my research focus, but I think it's still fall under the uh, big umbrella of, like, uh, heterogeneity in phenotype, and then, like, uh, treatment individualization, you know, uh, all yeah. those kind of good stuff that, Uh, we talked about a lot during graduate school so
0: (laughs) yeah (laughs) yes and especially um kind of leaning towards like the areas that we want to be thinking about for measurement and making that more appropriate for adults on the autism spectrum and teens too in terms of getting maybe self-report from them not just relying on others reports about them and thinking about it from a strengths-based perspective
1: yeah yeah for sure and also uh, i think the other thing worth mentioning is that um We are also very interested in like uh, how we can measure things more directly in the so-called, you know, quote unquote, lower functioning side of the spectrum as well. Like say, uh, if we have kids or adolescents who come in who are, uh, who still doesn't have really good uh, expressive language yet. and it sometimes will be hard for them to do self-report right if we are doing like questionnaires and stuff and a lot of times as you know tara um the measures are written in a really high grade level for reading so Mm -hmm. it will be you know just hard uh for self-reporting so like kind of trying to think creatively of like how we can also measure that end because that's more I think that's what we are lacking as a field so even like ADOS and um, other diagnostic measures like so say SRS the social responsiveness scale a lot of the skills we're capturing do require pretty good uh Functioning level uh mm-hmm. say like language wise or cognitive wise so like try to think more creatively of like what are some like novel ways that we can capture those and one of the things that you know i have been interested in is to use eye tracking. Yes. Um, yeah, yeah so <laughs> maybe that could be yeah so some good uh alternative ways that we can apply to measure the abilities of individuals because we tend to underestimate of um, the so-called lower functioning side of uh, the spectrum Um, because we don't have good measures to capture the ability precisely it's not really because they don't have the skill a lot of times it's we don't know how to capture them so i think uh, I have been spending more, more and more time thinking about that side of things as well,
0: yeah. Wow, yeah, I yeah. I was just going to ask if you were going to be thinking about incorporating eye tracking, because that was one of your major areas <laughs> in grad <Yeah>. school, <laughs> and yeah, I been reading yeah. Claire's paper, Claire's and your paper, as well as a few others, on uh, social attention for um, sex differences and... Um, circumscribed or special interests using eye tracking?
1: Yeah, yeah. So yeah, Claire, uh, we, I think a lot of papers I was a co-author on, but like yeah. I think she did the major heavy lifting of all the projects. <laughs> <laughs> but I think I want to uh, be more of like like how we can design a task uh, that can help us uh, measure some of the abilities better. So one of the yeah. things I, heard, I read about is uh, You know Tom Fraser, right? Um, Mm, I don't think so. I think he he did some uh, cool studies of using eye checking to measure receptive language. Um, so I think that could be a potential uh, yeah. for for our kids uh, who, yeah, especially like in the clinic, sometimes, you know, it's, as uh, yeah, all these criticisms about like how some of the evaluations may not uh, be the most reflective of their true ability. Like mm-hmm. it's a strange environment. They don't know the people who are testing them, you know, like all this kind of stuff that may uh, affect the scores that came out on a certain measure or certain, like, you know, IQ or language measure. Yeah. Like I think what he did is pick peabody picture uh, vocabulary test, the PPVT. They they put the pictures on the screen and use eye checking to see which they look for the longest when they hear, hear a word so which picture out of the four they look the longest on the screen to see like whether they may have different matrices of measuring their uh, attention to certain pictures to determine whether they know the word that they heard because in a clinic we ask the child to sit at the table and then present the picture and ask to say the number uh, I mean say the word Mm -hmm. and then have them point to the picture or show whichever way they show me which picture is the word I'm talking about so it, it really require a lot of skills, like motor skills, you know, and then like following directions and all these other, you know, compounding factors that might affect the test scores. That's So the result may not be truly reflective of their language ability. I think that could be a cool potential to use some of the more advanced technologies that actually have been tested in autism population yeah to think about it more creatively i guess (laughs) yes
0: absolutely and to be able to use it to capture um just the everyday activities like in the most natural setting as possible i think is definitely the way to go
1: yeah that's the other thing actually i was uh, working on with uh, dr summer bishop is i think in the mental health literature there's a lot of studies that use the experience sampling method so that's like a method that you ask the patient or the individual throughout the day to record what they are currently doing okay so let's say i think it's used a lot in uh people with depression uh, so they ask the uh, the individual to record, say, at 9 p.m. or 7 p.m., what they are doing at the moment and how they are feeling and stuff like that. So we are thinking maybe this is a nice way to capture what the, our uh, individuals on the spectrum, especially like young adults, mm-hmm. what they are doing throughout the day. Say 9 a.m. in the morning, what are they doing? At noon, what they are doing? Who are their ways? How they are feeling? So there are some apps uh, that's designed to do that, so we are thinking about like maybe we can incorporate that to get a better sense of how people are spending their day, uh, whether that has some implications for us. Especially thinking about treatment-wise, like we know a lot of our young adults have issues with, say, mental health and issues yeah. with uh, employment, and some of them are in post-secondary education. But like, uh, how they are spending their time uh, in college, whether it's with friends or classmates, do they have any social interactions throughout the day? Like, mm-hmm. I think that could be a good potential for us to like really understand how our individuals are feeling and what they are doing throughout the day so that's the other thing we're thinking uh, regarding to like yeah to how we can measure yeah daily experiences
0: so that's called experience sampling method
1: yeah so okay. uh esm yeah there are like apps if you search online you can see some of the apps that's been developed but most of them i think has been used in research and you have to pay okay. uh, for the, for the use, yeah. Mm-hmm. And there have been a few studies um, actually using this method in the autism population to, uh, um, I think there are two studies or three studies from the same group in Australia uh, using this method to check the activities uh, adolescents are doing throughout the day Mm -hmm. and but they have really small sample size so it's hard to make out of like you know how representative they are yes and then there's actually one from UNC Uh, it's uh, Mm -hmm. from uh, Dr. Gabriel Ditcher's lab uh, Mm -hmm. in psychiatry they did this with the positive and negative affective scale affection scale Oh, actually key and as uh, so they just ask the individual to read on all the emotions throughout the day okay. with like they send them text messages with the link to the survey so they can uh, read on those. Mm-hmm. So there are some studies and we are trying to uh, establish how feasible it is and what's the response rate if we send, you know, say multiple alerts throughout the day uh, to our adolescents and young adults, how my, how likely they're going to respond. So yeah, yeah I think we're still at the feasibility phase to establish that. Later on, I think could think about more, of like use it as a measure and then uh, use it as a treatment Measure. like yes, guess, yeah. I've been thinking about that a lot.
0: <laughs> yeah, that's amazing. I have to, yeah, I'll link some of those for sure. To, for those of you listening right now, they're like, oh my gosh, I'm so excited about hearing about this research because this tends to take a while to get to just parents, adults on the spectrum, and beyond to, to practice. You know, this yeah. is such a long time, as you know, from our, our yeah, know. classes. Uh, yeah,
1: like how long I think in our implement implementation science class it's like 14 years. Yeah, sometimes like as long it's, it's
0: like 20. It's ridiculous. Yeah,
1: I know. It's just hard to believe, I guess. Yeah, yeah how long it takes. And especially like with the technology today and how we're all sharing information, like how fast it is, information so, gets out. Like it's amazing how slow it is for things
0: actually to be implemented in the real world yeah research needs to catch up especially autism research <laughs> but yeah. that's exactly why i wanted you on the podcast today to share, because i know um, you're always so <laughs> immersed in the research out there especially the innovative research when it comes to things that are actually like applicable on a day-to-day basis and even with like eye tracking that's like one of the easiest um methodologies to have like in the clinic setting Sure, it's a kind of expensive, but it's also like the easiest to wear, right?
1: Yeah, yeah. Actually, like I think now that they make some of the devices pretty affordable okay uh, yeah and you know like a lot of gamers use eye checking tools oh yeah the, so yeah gaming settings so yeah, yeah yeah that yeah so you're right it's it's uh, non-invasive and mm-hmm. uh, compared to other machines it's relatively affordable i guess yeah
0: it's still <laughs> a technology that's very expensive and it's still being developed but at the yeah. same time yeah and i love Yeah, just hearing how this could be, this is like such a common discussion in in Twitter and in our community of like, how can we actually better understand from a research perspective and get this out to therapists and other practitioners of like, what is the day to day look like for an adolescent or adult on the autism spectrum?
1: Yeah, so also, I think with my uh, clinical experiences here at the STAR Center, I was able to like uh, work on those social skills. Groups with our clinicians, mm-hmm. the lead clinicians, like say we have like the teenage peers group. Have you heard of peers program? Um, yeah
0: it's the big, yeah. big social yeah. communication program for young
1: adults yeah yeah okay. it's coming out from uh, i think ucla uh, mm-hmm. the ucla peers program so they have the teenage version and then the young adult version so we were able to run both at our clinic and my interactions with our teenagers and young adults a lot of times it's not like they don't know how to do things it's more like they are not doing it because yeah. either anxiety or like you know other um, situational factors that prevent them from doing it so like but we don't even know like how much um what's the frequency and how much exposure they have to peers you know Mm -hmm. all this stuff that as you mentioned like the data experience so it could be very i think informational if we do have the data to help us uh, understand what are the specific areas or what are the specific aspects of social communication with peers and with other people that we can improve on Mm -hmm. and then also we all know it's also very individual from individual Um, if we can gather this data as say we have a pre-treatment data of uh, daily you know daily experience and then we work with the individual and the family to identify oh here are the aspects we think you can improve on and then like what they want to improve on and then we figure out and then we can measure again at the you know at the post-treatment time point and see like if they whether the uh, treatment actually works mm-hmm. um, compare the daily experience which i think will be more important than any other yes. outcomes what we are currently measuring now definitely
0: um, yeah it's so individual focused
1: yeah. but all i'm talking about is in the ideal world when we get things to work right
0: yeah that's true <laughs> <laughs> we'll get there one day, though. Yeah, for <laughs> sure. Just one step hopeful. away from getting that tech together.
1: Yeah, we're very hopeful. <laughs>
0: and the grant too, because this is all for like this is all piloting for a grant, right? That you're looking. Yeah, at. yeah, yeah. So yeah, hopefully. Hopefully, fingers back. crossed. would. Oh, Uh, So what are some of the common resources or tools that you've used along the way? You've definitely used, like, your clinical practice to inform your research and vice versa. I bet there's more.
1: Uh, One of the luxuries I have at the center is that we do have, like, a we have an interdisciplinary group of experts who had a lot of experiences with autism. And, um, like, we have social worker, which you are a social worker.
0: Yeah, (laughs) represent.
1: We have uh, quite a few behavior analysts, and we have like speech language pathology. So, I if I have different questions, I can you know direct questions to different people. And we also have psychiatrists, so like medication and stuff. I can also ask them. Mm-hmm. So that's the luxury I have. I know like yeah. not everybody have that, but some of the resources I definitely turn. To, uh that is online it's like so for me if I have a question that um say regarding regarding to regarding um, uh, clinical work or research work I definitely mm-hmm. turn to the academic articles first just because my training as a researcher i guess yeah um, yeah so try to find what is most recently available but I know not everybody have access to library or like non open source databases mm-hmm. so
0: those uh, paywalls, <laughs> <laughs> I <know.
1: laughs> But like, I think most of the uh, articles on PubMed they are available mostly to public. Okay. So yeah, I will definitely yeah. check there as well. Mm-hmm. And then Vector News, uh, they always like I think they try to get a scoop <laughs> of the research field, so they are pretty up uh, to date uh, to regarding the research. Updates. So they they will usually publish articles pretty fast when the uh, research article is off press. But I will always uh, read the read, read the reportings with caution, and then like think critically of like what the, the information they are trying to uh, get through here. If uh, the article is available, I will always check the original source to see if the information matches up. So that's, uh, yeah, that's one of them. And then I would highly recommend for like treatment uh, resources, I would highly recommend the UNCFPG's National Professional Development Development Center's uh, resources. I know they have like modules for the evidence-based practices. And I think Tara, you helped with some of those, right?
0: I did, yep.
1: So definitely highly recommend. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and especially I think for clinicians and parents, a lot of the strategy, strategies are um, laid out pretty clearly. And um, I think they have like guidelines that you can follow to uh, help you understand either the evidence-based practice better or like, also like, how you can implement them and use them in um, real life settings. That's that. And also for other resources, I like to check autism centers, uh, university-based artisan centers. A lot of times, I think they almost always have a resource page. Yeah. Um, so I think that's always a good place to check because I think they take good caution of like what they put out there. Yeah. So university-based autism centers. Yeah. Oh, yeah, that's
0: so thorough. Such a great wealth of information. Yeah. Something to even add even further with the university-based ones is that there is a federal fu- federally funded programming. Um, so there's one centers mostly in every single state, and that's usually where the autism center may more than likely be associated with so if you live in the United States and you more than likely have a LEND program in your state
1: oh that's cool I didn't know that yeah, yeah. i
0: was oh, sure you know <laughs> and they always have um often try to have like trainings and different community-based programming too so mm, gotcha and
1: do, do you guys have a resource page on your website
0: yeah we do we have a building a budding resource center on our site
1: there you go yeah <laughs> thanks
0: yeah. <laughs> I'm yeah, just so, combining all of the things I see from these centers yeah and updating it hey
1: yeah. that's
0: really useful
1: yeah <laughs> a hub for different information right
0: yes yeah and then as people raise more questions and we look into creating more resources for their area or whatnot
1: mm-hmm. yeah yeah
0: the goal yeah. is to build that out over the year or so but yeah, so shifting into our last couple of questions, what are some things that you are excited about and looking forward to in the coming months?
1: Oh man. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> a lot of things.
0: Great. The,
1: yeah, the the one the one that I'm like I keep thinking about these days is one of the projects we're launching. Uh so we have I I have been curious about um the mental health status and the service status uh, among young adults with autism, mm-hmm. uh, because a lot of times when we see young adults at our clinic, a lot of a lot of them have um, you know depression, anxiety, and other things going on. Mm-hmm. So, and a lot of times those conditions or comorbidities do affect their ability to function, like either to work or to go to college attend classes so i was just wondering about that so we were able to uh, work with the uh, simons foundation they have a research match platform where they have uh, a registrant of a group of um, individuals on the spectrum and their families Mm -hmm. so that we can send our online surveys to them so we are uh, launching that hopefully in february so hopefully i can gather some of the information from um, the young adults and to hear about whether they are experiencing some of the uh, depressive symptoms and how that may affect their daily life and also whether they are getting services for their uh, mental health uh, difficulties that they are acknowledging so uh, so that we can you know have a sense of what's going on and potentially we can promote for more services, um, especially mental health services for our young adults on the spectrum. So that's very exciting for me mm-hmm. and, yeah. <laughs> and yeah, the other thing, you know that in May we have this big international autism research conference. <laughs> yeah, in the, SAR. yeah, the INSAR. Um, so I'm definitely going, uh, so mm. it will be exciting to uh learn about new research research that's going on and uh hear about some new fundings and meet up with our old friends. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So that would be very uh, yeah, exciting time, I think. Yeah.
0: Oh, I love that. Yeah. I'm hoping I can be <laughs> there too. because I will be looking forward to that. Um, yeah. But it's always such a great please time.
1: come. Yeah, yeah. Please come. It's in Seattle, so it will be cool.
0: Yeah. It's so cool. In May. And it's right near you on the West Coast. <laughs> oh, no, get... yeah.
1: <laughs> I just need to fly up.
0: <laughs> yeah, you just have to fly up. Oh, yeah, I guess it's too far to drive. Um, <laughs> too far for me yeah. to drive. But yeah, it's always such a great place Full that's becoming more community-focused, I think, over yeah. the, just the past few times that we've been um, we've yeah. done road trips there before, but that's like a whole, <laughs> whole nother day. That's for a podcast about road trips to autism conferences <laughs> that we need to start. But yeah, they just, it's so, it's research focused, but over time, like they're thinking about the clinic setting, community setting, they have rates that are specific for Mm self-advocates and family members, and they think about SES with that, too, because they have a whole another rate for low income, and
1: it's also internationally
0: focused, too, so I know someone who's reached out to us on Instagram who is coming from Zimbabwe, and he was like, I'm going out there for the conference, but they always are so cool cool. from all over, yeah, so cool, Uh, so I want to go.
1: Yeah, and I think they have, like, small uh grant for families to go if yeah. uh yeah i i need to double check but i believe in the past years they had like small travel award for uh self-advocates or families family members to join the conference mm-hmm. so that's always nice and all also like i think it's a good place to for family members to talk to researchers and let them know like what's the most important things to families and a lot of yeah i mean as a researcher myself i really love to hear what um family members and self-advocates to have to say yeah i think they have like stakeholder launching sometimes right
0: they do yeah i think that they at least have a couple stakeholder type of things and then they have different interest group meetings that anyone can come be a part of and yeah yeah, even,
1: I remember those.
0: <laughs> yeah, me too. I did like a, a, a transportation one, which was really neat. Where?
1: Oh, cool. Those are very early Saturday mornings, I remember.
0: Yeah, <laughs> That's why I remember, remember them. <laughs> <laughs> we had to get up extra early for those. Um, oh, but yeah, yeah, I think it's such a great way, because it's also right before grant writing season, where you can kind of get in people, working with people and find a way to collaborate with them on different upcoming things going on.
1: Yeah, for sure. And I think they have like a range of different stages of researchers or clinicians, like early career, they have trainees and, you know, and seasoned researchers. And I think the keynotes are always
0: very interesting. So Yeah, they are. They always find, I don't know what this year's focus is, but um, very something that's so incredibly relevant to autism research and where it's going.
1: Mm -hmm. Yeah highly recommend yeah
0: i'll put that in the show notes everyone should go maybe we'll have an autism grown-up meetup group if
1: Ooh, that would be even more fun yeah
0: in addition to you and see what of course so yeah there but thank you thank you so much again Chutine, for being on the podcast um how can people listening to this episode get in touch with you
1: oh yeah thank you for having me though yeah for- <laughs> Uh, yeah, so everybody can just reach me through my uh, work email. So mm-hmm. it's just my first name dot my last name at UCSF at, uh, dot edu. So okay. yeah, feel free to shoot me an email if you're uh, interested in anything that we talked about today or you have any comments or opinions about things. I'm happy to uh, yeah have conversations as well. So yes. love
0: it. And then I'll also send you a link to our community too, because we post in there and sometimes people. Ask oh, cool. You. Yeah. 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 yeah join us there too well thank you again for spending your time with me today i don't want to take too much more of your time since we went over but uh, it's always fun talking to you you too oh man thank you again for joining us today and thanks again to dr shu ting zhang for being on the podcast she just shared a dent of her knowledge today hope to have her again in the future maybe an update on where her grant ended up going or grant she was a part of to continue the conversation please join us in the autism grown-up community you can go to community.autismgrownup.com and there will be a post about this there and i'll talk with you there and i'll talk with you next week